0: Seven in Seven Awkwardly Cut Up Pieces. I am your host, Darren, and today I'm joined by two guests. First of all, I have Alex Thompson. Hello, Alex. Hello. And Megan Griffin. Hello, Megan.
1: Hello.
0: Um, We are talking about The Sin of Pride, which if you are watching along at home, uh, you are going from 1 hour 27.35 to 1 hour 34.45 if you are watching in Europe. If you are American, we are going from 1.31.24 to 1.38.52. Um, We start off with uh, the follow-up from the bar scene where, you know, Mills and Somerset were drinking. Uh, Mills goes home. He sees Tracy. Um, That's pretty much all that scene is. Uh, We get the kind of culmination of everything that's been going on with Somerset in terms of his apartment. Um, And, you know, we've had his switchblade a few times. We've seen his dartboard. And um, so he throws his switchblade at his dartboard in anger. Um, I'm disappointed that at no point does his knife throwing become like a thing like in the film. <laughs> He's just he carries around the switchblade and he throws it at a dartboard and that's pretty much it. Um, we get the final title card of the film as we are now at Sunday. Uh, obviously, you know, that is the seventh day. Uh, Somerset is officially retired as of today. Um, you know, we've been counting the days down um, and we get the call that, um, you know, the, the next kind of uh, sin has been committed. And we go to Pride's apartment and we get one of the quippiest lines in the entire script that feels like something that would be in, I don't know, like a Lethal Weapon or a 48 Hours or a Beverly Hill Cop, where one of the cops is describing the scene and Somerset finishes the punchline with, you know, like, uh, she cut off her nose to spite her face. And it's like... That's a little bit of kind of... Like, there's a dead person right there. I don't think we need the punchline to kind of sell what's going on. Mills and Somerset arrive back at the precinct. There's been some discussion about if this thing is done, it still won't be done. You know, he's going to stay on until this whole thing is done. And then we get the big arrival, Um, you know, obviously kept secret from the public at the time, Um, you know, because Kevin Spacey's name was taken off. He was going to get top billing, but it went to Brad Pitt instead. And he arrives screaming detectives at the top of his lungs with his fingers all bloody. Um, And obviously, you know, there's a conversation to be had about (laughs) the taxi cab driver willing to drive a guy (laughs) covered in blood in his shirt to a police station. (laughs) I mean, it's uh, I mean, obviously, the logistics of it are kind of amusing when you think about it. But it's such a I mean, it's a kind of amazing like when I I remember seeing this in the cinema and just being like, what is going on? Like, it's it's kind of amazing. Uh, We then get the debut of Richard Schiff. Um, you know Toby uh, from the West Wing as a slimy lawyer Um, in the in the script there was mention of uh, of an orphanage apparently John Doe was at an orphanage at some point but obviously in the actual film we only have five years worth of history Uh, we get the return of the DA shaft um, and they make a deal Um, and that is where we finish uh, our section of the film um, so, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, on The Sin, let's start with The Sin, because I, I've always felt that this is kind of the most perfunctory. Um, you know, Lust is kind of so memorable. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Sloth is, you know, kind of shocking. Uh, you know, I would I would say that maybe the first two are a little bit more low-key. Um, but, you know, we're coming off the back of Lust, and then we get this Sin where it's just a woman with a, a phone in her hand, and, and you're like oh okay like it 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 feels it feels it feels like john doe has been rushed to just kill anybody basically and it you know it it doesn't it doesn't really feel as impactful as as i think they wanted which is maybe why in the script they kept the kind of quippy you know nose to spite her face uh your thoughts i'm i'm gonna say alex is
2: it is it maybe like the screenwriters were writing it and then they went okay did we get them all one two three four <laughs> seven, 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 yeah we got them all they're about to hand it in, and they go, <laughs> right? We got Clinton? Lust. Lust. The pro... Oh, no! Um. Uh, uh, crap. Um, cut off her nose, spider yeah. face. Good. Print it. Good.
1: I didn't Ship take it. away that from this, but uh, <laughs> that may be for several other reasons. Uh, Pride's always Sorry. been my favorite sin in any of the, you know, seven deadly sins retellings. And... I don't know. I guess as someone who is disfigured in some ways that like the whole concept of either you can live with this this disformity or you can, you know, kill yourself has always very struck, like struck very hard with me. So I don't know. It's probably just my personal experience, but it is a very rushed murder finding, all that stuff. But, uh, I don't think it's any less impactful. It's almost like
2: a prelude to the Saw movies, in a way. It it really, <laughs> it feels very sort of jigsaw-y. Like, you know, I want to play a game. There's a poison in your system <laughs> yeah. right now. You can call the police and live with
0: your disfigurement. Or you may stay here and die.
2: Make your choice, you know.
0: Yeah. Whereas like with the other victims, like obviously with, uh, you know, gluttony and uh, sloth, they clearly had no yeah. choice in what was going on. Right. They were kind of being forced into their situation. The same with Lust as well. Obviously, that's a situation that, you know, the way that it's described by, uh, you know, Leland Orse, that he says that he had a gun to his head. Um, and the same is also true of um, greed you know he had a gun to his head and he was forced again that is a bit more of a kind of it in fact it literally is something from one of the saw films when he's he's told to cut Mm -hmm. off a pound of flesh um so you know it like again it like it it feels like this this one is a, a little bit kind of different to the others but at the same time i think it is meant to get get you get like kind of give the idea that that John Doe has already been caught effectively, like they've got to his apartment, they've seen some of his plans, True. Yeah. and so he's trying to just get it out of the way before they get to it. Um, you know, he's been planning this for a year, you know, <laughs> he's, he's spent a year. Yeah, at least. Start- he's And he. it feels like once they go to his apartment, he's got to kind
2: of improvise yeah. a little
0: bit. Um, and obviously that is something that's kind of more noticeable in the final two sins where, you know, that is pretty much feels like 100% improvisation um you know uh, and i i think obviously that is also kind of one of the scenes that you know everyone knows the film for um but it again like the kind of level of planning that went into the the first few sins uh, and the kind of connections that were made it feels kind of rushed that this is just a random person that he you know he i mean uh, he spent some time with her obviously you know he spent some time um you know kind of cutting her and then to kind of just be like gluing a phone to a to a hand and saying you know you have the these two choices it just feels like uh, okay that doesn't like it, it doesn't kind of make it seem like i mean obviously the idea is to make it seem like john doe is some kind of like high functioning genius but it just makes him seem like someone who's kind of run out of ideas and is just like
2: yeah you know what would he have done if she said you know, if she did the, the saw thing, you know what? I do want to live. Yeah. I will live with <laughs> having my nose cut off and being disfigured for the rest of my life. Um, now mm-hmm. what? Now you don't have your problem. My
1: different. guess is that it was probably cut in a way that she wasn't going to survive at all. Yeah. I do wish they had kept with the original script and, and made it so that it wasn't sleeping pills, that it was a noose and a little bit more of a gruesome death. I mean, yeah
0: i i i mean it feels uh, in terms of like a death it feels less visceral than the others like it feels so kind of clean yeah. and like you know they say that he spent time with her and all that and it's like well it seems like he spent five minutes with her it doesn't really feel like he spent he put the time in like he did with the others um you know and also the fact that, that you know they they switched pride and lust in the script you know, it it makes it seem like both of those sins were kind of interchangeable. Like, it didn't matter which order they happened in. They've, they've just got to happen, basically, before we can get to the big finale. Um, and, you know, the time between the first few sins is, you know, it's like roughly kind of like 20 minutes, half an hour. Between these last few sins, it's like every 10 minutes is another sin straight away. And it just, it just kind of feels a little bit rushed. Oh, I mean, at this point in the film, watching it as a whole, you do kind of want the pace to be a bit quicker anyway. Um, but it feels yeah. a little too kind of throwaway um you know it's one of the it, like in this script like it's one of the it's, when i'm watching the film you know as a whole it's one of the few points where i feel a little dissatisfied um of course they turn it around straight away by having John to walk walking with bloody hands and so <laughs> yeah. you kind of I, I guess you kind of get over the whole thing with pride pretty quickly because you're like oh my god what's going on now um but
1: i am curious um because they do have a scene where it focuses on the bottle. You can't get her name. I paused it to write it down. And I didn't. I haven't gone back to watch the rest of the movie because I just wanted to be able to talk about this without, you know, coloring any of it. But her name is Rachel Shade. So I'm really curious if there's like a newspaper article in the background or something like that where maybe we can kind of get a vibe of who she is and then maybe make it a little bit more real or a little bit more depth or you know just something for those who are like me and pause things frequently (laughs) yeah to to get
0: that i mean i can't i can't say that i i know of any other connections to any anybody else that's in the in the films you know and they don't kind of give it away so um but uh the the actress who played uh the victim the pride victim um, she's been in a few things. Most notably, she was also in mm-hmm. kiss the girls with, um, <laughs> with Morgan Freeman, where she also played a victim. <laughs> so, uh, I think she got a bit of typecast in there. Uh, and then she's done a bit of TV and stuff. Um, but not really anything kind of, you know, she was in, uh, the Truman show, uh, uh, just as kind of like, you know, one of the many people in that town. Um, and then she's been in a few other things, but she hasn't kind of acted in anything since 2003. Um, you know, to Okay. But uh, yeah, it's I, I I mean I'm sure that it, it, I mean the, this the script obviously was a lot longer and they cut a lot of stuff out so I I don't know that we really need them to kind of linger on it and kind of connect it to anything else or say that she was you know a friend of somebody else or maybe she was you know married to someone or like I don't know that we need a connection but it, yeah it would have been nice just to kind of tie things together because at this point it just it feels like a bit of an outlier that yeah that.
2: See her on a billboard, or see her name yeah. in something. Not even focus on it necessarily, yeah. but just right. something that tells us that this Some woman socialite. existed. This woman existed yeah. before this before this scene happened.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: where it would make sense that she would choose to to die mm-hmm. rather than yeah. you know yeah. live disfigured or yeah. try you know cosmetic surgery. Uh, yeah,
2: so, Darren, to your to your point of this scene kind of feeling rushed in there in a weird way and I guess it sort of speaks to how fucked up this movie is that this that's what this qualifies as this kind of qualifies as the breather scene yeah between the (laughs) lust scene and the arrival of John Doe and that whole you know the 20 minutes of dialogue and stuff there like it's the it's the breath be- before between the two big uh, moments. Yeah, no, it's obviously it's another person being dead.
0: I mean, I think obviously given how kind of big and memorable the whole lust thing was, if it, it feels like yeah, we maybe we couldn't have had two kind of really big kind of victims one on top of the other. It would have just kind of felt a little too much to, and then have the reveal of John Doe what, straight after that. Like I, I think it just would have felt like there was a little too much going on. Um, but I just feel like we could have had one or two other details instead of them getting a bit quippy with the whole, you know, she cut off her nose, mm-hmm. dot, 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 to spite her face. Like, it's, I mean, it's one of the few lines in the film where I'm like, come on, guys. Like, I feel like we've, the rest of the film is slightly <laughs> better than this. Um, you know, that and the, the, when when Brad Pitt walks into the, you know, into the gluttony scene and he goes, someone get Guinness on the phone. It's like, okay. <laughs> like like <laughs> if- I I...
2: I almost kind of like it as, like, they're getting worn down by this. Like, I think of, like, the uh, very, completely different tone of movie, but a movie with a lot of murders. Like, in the movie Clue, the first murder, the second murder that happens, it's, oh my god, someone died. And by the time the sixth person dies, like, oh, there's another body. Uh, uh, put her with the other ones, I guess? you know like it, it, at this point it's like oh okay yeah there's there's pride oh, i got a joke all right god carry on that means we got to be getting to the end of this
0: which again obviously that kind of naturally then leads to the conversation between um somerset and mills where they are like this is going to finish but it's never going to be over like you know if he does mm-hmm. complete the seven then he complete you know then he completes the seven but if he doesn't then it's still it's still going to end up and i think as well that maybe puts the seeds in david fincher's mind for zodiac Where, you know, like, obviously that is, you know, effectively an open case until, you know, recently after that film was released. So maybe that's on his mind of like, you know, there are kind of serial killers who were never caught, um, you know, whose cases are still open. And it's like people still talk about it. You know, people still talk about Zodiac, both the killer and the film uh, many years after those things were kind of done with. and 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 I guess that's kind of what they're saying is like, even if this gets solved, even if he walks in, You know, obviously, you know, the the conversation in the bar is like, even if he was the devil himself, like, that's not going to be good enough to kind of justify all of this, Um, you know. uh, And obviously, we, you know, we get to hear uh, John Doe before we see John Doe when he calls in, you know, uh, Pride. Obviously, up until this point, he's waited for the detectives to discover stuff. But the fact that he's been caught, I guess he's like, I may as well just just phone him (laughs) and just say, I've I've, I've committed a murder. Um, and uh, the call is taken by cinematographer Harris Savines, um, who would work with David Fincher a couple of times on the game and uh, on, uh, on Zodiac. And, you know, work with Gus Van Sant on a number of films, um, starting with everybody's favourite, Finding Forrester. Uh, you are indeed the man now, dog. And, uh, you know, after that, Jerry, Elephant, Last Days, um, you know, Milk as well uh, he was nominated for that uh, for a number of awards um and then in recent years he he'd worked with um sophia coppola on uh you know a couple of films as well and the bling ring was his final film he died in uh, 2012 i think the bling ring might even be uh might even have like a dedication to him as well um but uh, on some of the behind he's on some of the behind the scenes stuff on a few different dvds that i've got and he seemed like a really kind of like uh, you know kind of fun guy and kind of entertaining and you know everyone on set seemed to really kind of like like him um, so it was kind of uh, tragic when he uh, he died at the f- I mean the fairly young age of 55 um, but it's just nice to see him here in just a brief role taking a phone call from John uh, and obviously if people had seen the usual suspects four weeks earlier they would have recognized the voice on that phone um, before they got <laughs> to see him.
1: I guess I, I listened to it a few times, and if you told me that someone else other than Kevin Spacey recorded that, I probably would have been like, "Yeah, okay, I believe you." I don't know something about it. I was like, "That's not <laughs> Kevin Spacey," but then again, my life is not inundated with Kevin Spacey as it probably was back in the nineties.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then of course, I mean, you know, we get a few little scenes between you know Somerset. Like I said, he's he's throwing that to uh, he's throwing at that dartboard. Um, You know, I've got to say, like throwing knives at dartboards, dartboards, you know, they'll take a bit of, uh, you know, they'll take a bit of a beating, but mostly from darts. They're meant to take sharp points that are, they're not meant to take knives. He's just (laughs) ruining his dartboard, quite frankly.
2: I mean, I'm also disappointed. I'm also disappointed that we don't see the knife holes in the wall from outside on around the dartboard where he's learning to do this.
1: Yeah, I, the renter in me was like, good God, you really don't care about your security deposit. I mean, he's,
0: he, well, obviously a, a cut scene from the beginning of the film. He's got a, uh, he's already got his dream beach home already re- ready and he's basically moving out of the city the next day. So I guess he's not really that bothered about any holes in the wall. He's like, I'm out of here I'm and I'm, dead. I'm moving up, I'm retiring and I'm moving off to a beach home. Of course, uh, you know, that doesn't happen. So, um, but yeah, like, yeah, I, I guess he's so confident in his abilities and his accuracy that he, uh, he you know, he, he just kind of, he does there's no holes anywhere around. He's just like straight into the dartboard. Um, and, of course, I do like that we get we get one little kind of last moment to remind us that Gwyneth Paltrow is still alive. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the script, there was a whole thing where Mills was concerned for her safety, and so they moved her to a safe house. But obviously, John Doe was following them, so he tracked them down. I'm kind of glad all of that got cut out, because I think having John Doe arrive, you know, two minutes after he's made his phone call, so if you have recognised Spacey's voice, then having him walk in, you know, kind of... It's I, I don't know it's it's one of those moments where certainly when I was at the cinema I was like this is like so like you you kind of expect that all the seven sins are going to happen because that's advertised on the poster, but when Kevin Spacey mm. kind of turns up you're like what are they going to do now like how like instantly your mind is like what's going on like the film takes like such a sharp turn um, that it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what you know, the next move is, and you're like, I, you know, immediately, it's one of those things that kind of makes this film, I think, you know, it's, I mean, it's a great film up until this point, but this is kind of the point that turns it into like a, you know, kind of like an instant classic for me, because it's like, I, you just can't work out what's going to happen, and also just his kind of, him with his blood-covered shirt and his hands up in the air, just screaming detective at the top of his lungs, Uh, it's such a great kind of entrance for the character, even though we've kind of seen him a few times, you know, this is the first kind of proper entrance into the right. film.
2: There was this weird theory that I saw online that this city is uh, Gotham City before Batman. Yes. It's sort of. they okay. they like they, That's why they talk about this city being different. You know, you, oh, you've worked crime. You know, you've worked murders, but you haven't worked murders here. And, and I was almost, as they're describing John Doe, they're like independently wealthy and he's a genius. And I'm like, so he's like evil Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess. Uh, I mean, I do not agree with that theory because obviously in the script yeah. it was named as Philadelphia, and then they, uh, yeah. then they just dropped the references to Philadelphia because David Fincher didn't want to have mm-hmm. to shoot any landmarks in Philadelphia, and it was just sh- cheaper yeah, for them sure. to do. So, um, yeah. So I think that's yeah. a bit of a ridiculous theory. But yeah, I I, 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 know. I just I find the entrance to be so kind of memorable, um, that it does kind of. Allow me to forget a little bit about how kind of blah, the whole thing with pride is. Um, And it's, Mm -hmm. and and also, you know, like there's a point where like this script kind of is just a buddy, kind of a buddy cop film. And then it kind of takes a turn into a completely different direction. And I think obviously this is the point where, you know, this is what, if you're, you know, if you're a script reader and you get to this page, you're like, Oh, this is why this script is different to other scripts. This is why this film will be different to other films is uh, is this kind of entrance yeah.
1: well so i watched the scene a few times and it never you said it struck you as weird that a taxi driver would drive a <laughs> bloody guy and and i had to laugh because it didn't strike me as too weird uh <laughs> it was like the one thing i never like didn't think about um but what was weird to me is that they focused so much on like the fact that he has basically wiped his history yeah. and it's Never really explained as to like what the benefit or like what the point of that is. Like, why does it matter that this guy doesn't have a history? Versus, I think you said the original story was that something about an orphanage and giving him a backstory. And unless it was one of those ideals of the horror you don't know is scarier, but I don't know. That was kind of my takeaway this is a weird segue to have for no
0: benefit. I mean the thing is in the in the original script they say the only information they have obviously is they say the the information that they got from the orphanage. And I was like well that's a weird thing to mention <laughs> but also then it kind of yeah. makes sense to cut it because it feels like john doe has picked he's picked the name john doe obviously for a purpose. And then he's also decided, you know, effectively to kind of create his own uh, mythology. So, you know, he's not he's not older than you know everything. All the information they've got for him doesn't go back more than five years. Um, although for some reason he decided to take out a library card and use his, his real address. Um, but like, you know, they, nothing they've got goes back more than five years. So they can't like everything, like everything that is going to be written about John Doe effectively is his, um, you know, like choice. So it's kind of like you know he he will decide that this is the thing that people remember him for, and if they can like go and find his you know parents or you know find friends and family or somebody he worked with previously, then obviously that can kind of undo that myth. So it just feels like it's a quick way for him to you know build a myth. And also you know if you're gonna um, if you're gonna become a killer, um, then obviously having no real traceable identity just means that even, I mean even if they found his fingerprints. Like what, what information would that have given them? (laughs) Like if he's only, Mm -hmm. I guess maybe that would, that would help him go back more than five years. Maybe this, maybe he was, I don't know, in prison at some point, or maybe he's worked for a government building or like, maybe there's that's why he's trying to hide that part of himself, like to kind of get rid of his history. But yeah, like just the choice to be like, oh, you know, everything going back five years. Um, But it does make me think of like, he spent years and years and years saving all this money. So that he can commit these crimes, and it's like that's a that's a lot of effort, quite frankly. You know.
1: Well, I, I guess that's. I kind of leading up. I have a question. Just kind of the way that you're talking, I'm getting the impression that you think that the police figured out a clue to figure out who he was, and thus he turned himself in. Is that the vibe you're getting? No, he,
0: they got. They got to his apartment, didn't they? Oh no, yeah. I know
1: that, but I guess the way that I've always seen this is like that was all intentional. He wanted them to find that. It was always his goal to get to this point like he always planned to turn himself in i don't
0: know because he says in the car that he was surprised to see them at his apartment so yeah. and, the, and and he phones them up while they're in the his apartment reason, and says now i'm gonna have the to." the only reason is they that
2: got to his apartment after- is because they used an fbi database that sounds like it's not entirely legal and that not even cops necessarily know about to okay. sort of profile him based on his library books uh so I I'm not sure I agree that it was part of his always part of his plan to show up here like this because I I don't That's think That's fair. Yeah.
1: I mean like I said I only watched this second. <laughs> yeah. So it is entirely pulling from i has been probably 10 years since I've seen the entire film. Yeah. But, uh, yeah,
0: but I I like his plan was uh, uh, you know from before he he gets caught at his apartment, you know, he already had lust picked out. Uh, which is probably why Pride feels, like, a bit more perfunctory, because I guess maybe he had one or two candidates for Pride and then this was the one that he kind of went with. Uh, And the thing is, as well, is obviously we only know the victims that have been found. Like, it's entirely possible he could have killed more people, but maybe, you know, uh, he tried to feed someone to death and they they didn't die or they died before he was able to kind of... Like, maybe there's other victims that we don't know about. You know, like, it it feels like this is... um, uh, there's, a, there's a thing that they call, which is I think it's like the racehorse fallacy, which is you follow you follow a bunch of people uh, who win um, at horse races, but the only people you follow are the winners. So you forget about the losers. So all you're seeing is the winning like you can see someone who wins like seven horse races, but all, you forget about the fact that you've lost a bunch of losers along the way. So it feels like he's picked these specific victims. And they're being discovered in this order. But that doesn't mean necessarily in the last five years he hasn't tried killing other people and it hasn't worked. And yeah. and so, like, it's just because they managed to get to his apartment that he's like, oh, well, now I've, I've got to, you know, he was already going to do Lust. But now he's like, well, I've got to do it straight away. Like, it's got to be the next thing I do. Um, and then after that, oh. he's, you know, he's, he knows the detectives know where he lives. So he's maybe kind of short of resources. So he's like, well, okay, I had these mm-hmm. victims picked for pride. I'm going to have to go with just this one now and see if it works out. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things they
2: did in his apartment. They said they found a big uh, cash, a har har, a big cash of money. And so we got his money. Yeah. That's, so that's, that cuts off yeah. his resources. And now he's got to accent- accelerate his timetable. I, I kind of like the idea that he was, um, That he may have been doing other killing or at least trying to kill to sort of explain that potential plot hole of what if the pride victim decided she wanted to live and was willing to uh cut off her nose to spite her face Uh, you know that he may have tried this a few times and sort of learned this is the sort of person who would be willing to live their life disfigured and this is the sort of person who wouldn't so when he picks the victim to be the victim he he already he has a pretty good idea of how this is going to go.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, 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 there might be someone living out there who has already been mutilated by John Doe, who did choose to live. Well, we'd never know about that person mm-hmm. because we would only ever know about the right. crime. Um,
2: yeah, that that's kinda of what I'm thinking, is like he tried it on someone and they chose to live, he tried it on someone else, they chose to die, he tried it maybe a few more times, sort of figured out, Oh, it's this kind of person. Okay, <laughs> so it's some person who's very vain, he's someone who's beautiful on the outside and ugly on the inside. Whatever. He's done some psychological profiling to sort of figure out that's the sort of person I need to pick.
0: Yeah. The kind of stuff you get to do when you're independently wealthy. Um, yeah. You know the kind of stuff that I imagine Jeff Bezos does. You know, in his spare time. You know, he's oh, a on. he's a, yeah. he's a multi-billionaire. What else have you got to do in life? Just you know, go around profiling people in preparation for the day you become a serial killer. Uh, I'm not saying that Jeff Bezos might be a serial killer, but I'm also <laughs> not not saying that. Um, mm-hmm. So no, he he'll he will integrate with
2: Skynet. That's what he'll. Oh yeah. Gonna... No, that's it. Yeah. yeah, he's
0: gonna he's gonna be uh, what's his face out of um, that that last Terminator film that was really bad. Uh, I know that doesn't narrow it down. Uh, the Ma- Matthew Smith
1: character,
0: uh, Matt Smith, Jason. Character. Yes, but he turns into John Connor, doesn't he? Jason, what's his face? I can't. Rem- I can never remember the name of that actor. I have no idea. The actor's got like a big meaty face, yeah. and he's in a lot of stuff, and I can never ever remember what he's called. Oh, the
1: Australian. Dude? I think so. Yeah. What is his name? Yeah. He's Captain Kangaroo, isn't he? Oh, what's his name?
2: Wait, Jai Courtney? No. Yeah. Not, I'm not thinking no, of Jai Jason. No, Jason Clark. Jason, Jason Cl- Clark. Jason Clark is the Jason you're thinking. Yeah. Of. Jai Courtney is also in that movie.
1: Oh, I was thinking Jai Courtney for the meaty face, kind I
0: of. Are. He's just, yeah. Uh, so we get to probably one of my favorite things as a fan of the West Wing, which is, of course, uh, Toby uh, appears uh, without his beard, um, playing a lawyer um, uh, named Mark Schwa, which I love. It's <laughs> <like> such a. <laughs> It's kind of a a silly name. And he spends pretty much all of his performance just sitting in a couch. Um, You know, if I was an actor and this was like my entire career, I could easily do this. Just sit in the couch and just recite lines that pretty much everybody else is already saying. Um, And, you know, we get the we we get the information in this scene that obviously, you know, um, blood has been found. um, That is the victim of um, pride um, and also um, John Doe. Now that they have some of his blood. Um, and a, another unidentified person, uh, which obviously as a viewer watching it a second time, you know who that belongs to. Um, but obviously mm-hmm. the, this is where Richard Schiff is saying there is there are two more bodies um, and you won't find out where they are until you, know, you uh, give him this deal and you agree to kind of go to this location. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting because the fact that there's only one other blood sample I would actually say, well, if there's two bodies, why is there only one other identified, like unidentified blood source? Like, um, you know, like if there's two bodies, I'd expect two. But you know, uh, it also it seems very very quickly that they've identified those those blood samples, considering that the fingerprint guy said it could take well, up to like three weeks to get a fingerprint sample, and they've immediately got blood back from the lab, like literally the same day. I think
2: that's CSI time. They're just like, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Um. Not all the victims were bloody.
0: No, you're right. Yeah. Um,
1: so, I it, it doesn't spring to mind immediately. Like, where's the second victim? It just means at least one of them yeah. is a bloody death. Yeah.
0: Yes, uh, I guess. But just as, as like a police officer, I'd be like, well, or as a detective, should I say? I'd be like, you know, if you've if you've killed somebody else and done it without spilling any blood, it seems a little suspicious just... to me. But. This suggests
2: that John Doe's had a really busy morning. <laughs> he definitely yeah. has. He's apparently found time to kill Pride. Go over uh spoiler alert in three, two, one. Uh go over to David's house and play, you know, play house with uh Gwyneth Paltrow, uh whatever it is that you wanna however you want to phrase that. Kill her. Do the mutilation on his fingers again and then come down to the precinct. You've skipped a step oh, there, and Alex. Ar- and, and ar- yeah, and arrange, arrange the, the delivery. delivery of the head. Yeah. And he's done all this in a time frame before the blood on his shirt turns brown. Because if you leave blood in clothes too long, it turns brown. It does. It does, It still looks red.
1: I would say he killed Gwyneth Paltrow long before he attempted to kill Pride. I would not be surprised if Pride had been like drugged up somewhere because, I mean, we don't get a lot of information about her, but there's no, you know, she's got two things glued. We do see her hands. There are no marks or obvious signs of her, like, fighting back. So I would not be surprised if she was drugged out of her mind while he's cutting off her her nose. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if it was, kill Gwyneth Paltrow, go cut off this, you know, woman's nose. Uh, Well, I mean, the and maybe like a car phone somewhere in between there when you call the delivery the
0: the, the saturday night we see her at the mills apartment though before before just after lust has been killed and before pride has been killed but but and we also we also knowing that there's
1: a serial killer i mean i i'm getting the feeling that mills has probably been there for since what probably 6 a.m i mean who knows we also are gonna
2: find out that he that John Doe stopped by Mills's apartment after Mills left this morning. He says that, Ass- assuming, of course, yeah, he's telling so. the truth. So, I mean, maybe though, maybe he did all the work on Pride, yeah, night before, sort of midnight going into the beginning of the day and mm-hmm. left her there. No, because they talk about
1: how fresh it is. Mm. Honestly, I would assume that by the time that he walks in, it's late afternoon. Because if I remember correctly, the whole point of finding the wife's head is at 7 p.m so give you know an hour or two to get there so i'm saying it's you know, at the earliest 3 p.m
0: mm, yeah
1: so i don't know you're right it is a weird timeline that's weird a lot time. to do in one day <laughs> but i i i don't just i don't, dis- I don't yeah. necessarily think it's not possible he's highly motivated also- let's just say
0: that he, he he likes to get stuff done he's he's an early riser um yes. and he's he's gonna make sure that uh, all of his kind of chores for the day are finished before he goes and turns himself in um it also if yeah. you want to put stock in things that the cinematographer
2: has no control over the shadows outside the building of the lamp posts on things are really long which suggests that it's either early in the morning or later in the day if it was around noon the sun would be pretty close to directly yeah. overhead and there would be minimal shadows but these are long shadows so-
1: I'd assume closer to the end of the day. Yeah. Oh, just really quick yes. though, because you mentioned those the shadows. Um, it's the fourteenth precinct, a multiple seven, and also the taxi is two eight three one. When you add it all up, it's fourteen. Another multiple seven, and when they're talking to the the lawyer, it's in room seven hundred five. I don't know. I have fun looking at things <laughs> like that. So. Um, I knew there was a bunch of number play in this movie so I did slow it down to kind of look at all the numbers that come up and and um, unfortunately the only one that like I couldn't make into a seven was the prescription number <laughs> it's uh six five three one one and so I was a little bummed about that but but I did have fun seeing all the sevens that were scattered throughout yeah
0: and I don't think any of those are gonna be a mistake because um, David Fincher is oh no yeah, not David at all. Fincher likes having fun with his production design so. Um, yeah I mean what are our feelings here about Richard Schiff because I think he's kind of got this I mean there's even a line where you know people are like why are you representing this scumbag and he's like well you know everyone deserves like you know uh, representation <laughs> and you know so he's kind of got this hard job of playing the kind of the defence lawyer and um, you know I, I, I mean I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Richard Schiff I think you know I think once he actually grew a beard and just became super grumpy all the time I think that really worked for his, uh, his demeanour Um, so it's a little weird seeing him kind of super young in this film. Not that young, obviously, because his hair's still thinning a little bit, Um, but just, I don't know, I kind of like his performance because he he stays on the right side of, because obviously it's very easy to kind of portray, you know, defence lawyers as kind of slimy and all that kind of stuff, and obviously that's the idea of when, um, you know, Greed was murdered was because he was, like, a defence lawyer and, you know, like, So it's kind of easy to paint them like that, and I think he kind of gives you know a nice little performance of like someone who is just basically being you know he's been given money by John Doe to kind of get this deal done, and that's pretty much all he's doing. And he you know he's not really emotionally invested. He's just kind of trying to get stuff done for his for his client. Um, And okay, so
2: so we believe that he is John Doe, either John Doe's personal lawyer that he already knows, or John Doe has hired him, uh, as opposed to him being a public defendant public defender that's always been my impression
1: he's definitely not a public defender not dressed like that not as well
0: slept as he looks. yes
2: my only he's not disheveled my only question about that is where do you get the money because i thought they basically seized most of his assets when they went to his apartment
0: i've got to believe that john doe had already prepaid this guy a long time ago for Uh, the moment like when he gets caught this is what you're gonna do and like whatever the scenario Uh, was i'm guessing he's probably already paid this lawyer enough to kind of make him uh, come in yeah um
1: I mean, he's clearly very good at his job not to, you know, say that public defenders aren't, but the stereotype of public defenders is that they are so overworked and and it is a stereotype for a reason. Um, he, the line that he says is essentially like, um, oh, I totally just blanked, but it's, it's more of just like, you get the vibe that he's doing this because it's his damn job and not more of like he believes this guy is a good guy or even like, it doesn't even feel slimy in any way. It's just more of like what else can i do and it's like every time he pokes holes in it it just kind of sounds more exasperated um than than actually like a smarmy lawyer <laughs> yeah no that's you know, looking for a good That's way to what act. i'm
0: saying like the performance isn't that and i think he manages to avoid that just because you know, he, he like, I mean, I, I think part of it's just the fact that I like Richard Schiff's. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm, ca- I'm kind of willing to have Richard Schiff, you know, be less involved. But I don't like I, I feel like the the would like there might have been like an idea of maybe the lawyer's complicit or knows about the previous murders or maybe something like that. But it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like he is somebody who's like, I've been paid some money and I'm just here to kind of speak on behalf of my, my client. And that's pretty much it. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm yeah. not going to kind of get involved in, you know, whatever you want to do. And, you know, he's like, the deal is this. And that's the end of it. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, if you want to do the deal, do the deal. If you don't, then, you know, you're, you're a police. The only thing that I think he kind of forces a little bit is when he's like, you know, you there's two more bodies out there and you're basically saying you don't want to know where they are. And that's not going to play well mm-hmm. with the public if, if that's what happens, you know, like, so.
1: Yeah, but he does save that for after uh, morgan freeman's character saying you know everything that you're saying is admissible in court so if he tries to pull this whole insanity plea we can prove it's it's a lie and he's like yeah sure but also then you're going to be you know proving how terrible you guys are for not trying to go and find these bodies
2: is it weird that typically in a situation like this you as a uh suspect have a lawyer to help you navigate the legal waters of uh, interrogation and things like that and what, you know, saying what you want to and things like that. But at this point, John Doe knows that he's on a suicide mission. He knows he's not going to court anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because the thing is, it, 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 from the from Suave's point of view, he's saying there are two more bodies. Um, and, you know, so, like, you know... he I don't know it's it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like that that that's kind of like it doesn't feel like everyone understands that that's what's going on obviously until we kind of get the, to the final few scenes um you know certainly to me well I think John Doe John
2: Doe understands that that's what's going on he knows when yeah, he says when he agree, says yeah. there are two more bodies he's lying that one of those bodies is still alive yeah
0: right now well yes cuz it's him yeah
1: yeah I firmly <laughs> believe that he always intended to die Maybe not necessarily in the desert, but, like, mm-hmm. by the hand of a cop and, and you know, being the wrath victim and things like that. I think that the lawyer is necessary because if you just came in and was like, well, there's two bodies, you know. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think – he would be running the risk of it taking too long, too much fighting, you mm-hmm. know, then putting him in a cell for X amount of time, et cetera, et cetera, as where, you know, you get a lawyer in there who's going yeah. to basically be like either do this or – don't. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I I guess it's, it's a revelation to the cops that John Doe himself is going to be one of the bodies. If he's, if he, as far as they know, he's a serial killer turning himself in through his lawyer. You know, it's, it's only once they get out to the desert that they realize, oh, he, he is body number two.
1: I know that we're kind of in a culture nowadays where uh, true crime and serial killers are, not necessarily in vogue, but it's it's hard to come across someone who doesn't enjoy some type of true crime. I don't know how that was in the 90s. Like, because I could see say they remade this today. It would totally make sense that he turns himself in because he wants to be infamous. That's not really the vibe that I'm getting from the 90s or from this character. So I don't really know where I'm going here other than just like... <laughs>
0: I I think I think the weird thing is the big the big thing in the 90s was disappearances people disappearing was a big thing Um, you know and then later on you know maybe the family murdered them maybe they didn't. Um, but that, that was that right. seems to Jean be
2: Binet Ramsey comes to mind. Oh God, it so yeah. seemed to be
0: a bigger thing in the 90s more than serial killers, although obviously there were some serial killers still in the 90s. Uh, but I have a feeling that technology was catching up with serial killers in a way you know that obviously it hadn't in the 80s and the 70s, and so it kind of became a little harder. Um, you know Also, most serial killers aren't that intelligent and they aren't that inventive. They basically kill a few people and then they get caught because they're dumb. Um, so yeah. you know I, I think films have kind of made it seem like they're all high level geniuses which they definitely are not um, but uh, yeah I mean I, I think that the weirdest thing is obviously if this film were made today, then it would have to, it would have to kind of open the same way that like the, um, the recent Halloween film did. And there would have to be a couple of podcasters um, on the trail of somebody who's committing, oh, yeah. um, you know, like some these murders and that's how we'd get introduced to the idea of someone doing the, you know, the kind of crimes based on the, the sins. And then maybe we'd flash back and see some of the, the murders being discovered. And these podcasters would be constantly mm-hmm. there. Um, but i i feel like if i feel like if you're remaking it today i almost think it
2: would be he, the initial run of john doe got stopped at 5 and the two podcasters are on the trail and suddenly they find themselves becoming 6 and 7 or something yes. like that yeah um, to give it a, oh, to give okay. it an immediate start. <laughs>
1: I remember what my, where I was going with that all in the beginning. So, if they did it nowadays, it would clearly be some kind of infamy. Or, you know, to get on these murder boards to be discussed. Like, did he actually do it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, that's not a thing, And it seems like, in the 90s, and, and, and you pretty much just agreed. So, it's weird to me that at no point, they're like, why are you turning yourself in? Like, it's never like, a, this is odd. That he just showed mm. up, or even like a discussion of, is he some kind of patsy? It's, it's weird that they're just like, yep, okay, he's here, he's turned himself in, we're good, it's time to go. And, I don't know if it's just watching it from twenty nineteen eyes where it's just like, okay, that's weird, <laughs> mm. but I, I, you know, without that that side story,
2: I think their belief is that he he's sort of preaching, which I mean he he is sort of. Um, so he wants to continue his sermon, I guess is the the best logic that they can come at it from.
0: I mean, when he's in the car, I he suppose. does say that he you know that people will be discussing this for years to come and they'll be dissecting it and trying to figure it out and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So he does kind of know that there's going to be a certain notoriety um, and, and okay. he does kind of get mad when Mill says nobody's gonna remember you and then he can, and so you know he 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 does kind of want people to remember him. Um, and yeah, it is odd that they don't question kind of himself, him turning himself in. But then it's such a shocking move. And I, I've got to say, I do kind of love um, uh, Brad Pitt's kind of like when when he's there and he's pointing his gun and he's like, you know, don't move, don't you fucking move an inch, get on the fucking ground, like get him super angry. And like, it's John Doe's already there, like, you know, and he's like kind of making him get on his knees, put his hand, but he's like so kind of emotional and kind of stuff. And I think it's like, oh, well, you know. That's kind of setting up what's going to happen in the final kind of scenes, the interaction between the two of them and how um, even when John Doe has turned himself in peacefully and he's just sitting there, um, you know, Mills is kind of angry and emotional and, and, you know, kind of on the edge, Um, you know, and even Somerset is like, you know, he's only two murders away from finishing his masterpiece. And it's like, you know, this doesn't seem right to him because he's like, where are the other two? You know, what's going on? Um, you know an interesting thing in the script is um, Mark Swar which is the character played by Richard Schiff um, he is the one in the script who kept um, Sloth out of prison Um, but obviously in the finished film the lawyer for Sloth is Greed so that's an interesting kind of oh, detail oh. that they left out, um, you know, and they kind of changed while they're on set is rather than having this be the guy who kept Sloth out of prison. Um, you know, it makes more sense because, you know, with a film with two lawyers in, I don't feel that like you can have both of them be involved in the in the sins. It just it's just overkill, basically. That would have been pushing yeah. it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, just ha- also it explains a little bit of the anger that's still in the scene towards him. Because obviously in the script, he, you know, he got this person off and, you know, obviously then they were tortured by uh, John Doe. But in uh, it's why in, in that scene where people are kind of questioning him a little bit, it seems a bit, it makes a bit more sense if you, if you think that he was the guy who was responsible for... You know, somebody getting off of. of, Whereas in the film, the anger seems a little misplaced because it's like he's just a guy there to kind of convey this deal and represent his client.
2: On the true crime front, uh, at this point in time, we are only a couple of years away. From uh, CSI Las Vegas becoming, I mean, that's not true crime, but I think that's kind of one of the precursors.
1: Oh, but like the start of our culture's obsession. Yeah,
2: cultural fascination with murder and serial killers as like a pop cultural thing. Uh, that was started in October of 2000. So the idea was kind of, wow. at that point, it's kind of percolating, I would say, in in the public consciousness I yeah
0: guess. I mean I'd argue that the whole then this is something I said in some of the other episodes as well the whole kind of serial killer thing started with Silence of the Lambs in 91 mm. Um you know mm, when, yeah, that, yeah, that one best picture so obviously people are like oh well we couldn't you know this is something we can kind of make money out of and then I feel like by the time we get to Hannibal in 2001 in terms of films people are like well I think we're done with serial killers now <laughs> like
1: mm-hmm. we've we've <laughs> kind of
0: had enough we've had a decade of serial killers let's kind of move on to something else um, you know, and I, I'd say since then, you know, other than, uh, st- you know, stuff that kind of is classified, I guess, as torture porn, stuff like Saw, um, there hasn't mm-hmm. really been like kind of many films that I can think of that are specifically kind of like about serial killers, but then, you know, CSI had mm-hmm. started and then, you know, so I, I yeah. guess the kind of fascination with, um, kind of the ins and outs of murders is a bit more suited to kind of TV at that point rather yeah. than films. Um, mm-hmm. Well it's worth saying CSI very rarely uh had long running storylines. Like obviously they were mostly in episodic. Um but they had a few. Well they did. Um, they had there a was, couple of was a... they
2: had a couple of serial killers. Um... They did.
0: The guy who made the miniatures, uh was the Yeah, I was, was about to say one. the miniature killer. Yeah, but that was like a, that was just like one full season and that and that that was pretty much it. They didn't they didn't really kinda of go back to serial killers much after that. Occasionally they have someone who killed two or three people and then they catch them and that was it, but yeah the miniature killer was really the there NBA. was
2: the blue paint killer um comes to mind um i, I just found a wiki with a whole bunch of uh, csi serial killers okay um, i was
1: about to be very impressed with your <laughs> CSI, but i, I because, do like, actually remember I there was really some guy
2: it. with uh with a, like a blue paint as his mo uh if i remember correctly he um would paint a rail with blue paint People would come by, put their hand on the wet rail, and basically
0: that was them getting tagged for him to kill them eventually or something like that.
1: Oh, that's that's not terrifying at yeah.
0: all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, would, I would argue more that um, The Mentalist did, obviously, serial killers because that was the whole premise of that show was, uh, you know, hunting down Red John, who was a serial killer who also trained other serial killers. Um, and then also more recently you had The Following, which is a terrible TV show. Uh, which Kevin Bacon only did to pay off i I'm
2: not actually sure that the fascination's ever entirely gone away, because we've had Dexter and the Blacklist. That's true. Yeah. Both. I don't
0: know, is the Blacklist about serial killers? And Criminal Minds. I mean, well, the
1: Blacklist... Blacklist is more just FBI most wanted all around the world.
0: Yeah, I
2: guess that's true, but but Dexter certainly is is very serial killer focused.
1: Criminal Minds is in its 15th season. Jeez. Mm -hmm. There's like a i think every other episode is some type
0: of <laughs> and final mm-hmm. season i think as well fortunately um but i mean like the fascination yes. on in film kind of moved to tv and then mm. and then yeah you know, true. and csi itself was that's, less concerned yeah. with serial killers more uh, other types of killers like you say it's other shows that have kind of taken on the mantle of serial killers um you know but uh, yeah so i mean for me i think after hannibal i was like that's it who, like who really needs who really needs this <laughs> Uh, it's nice that we got to see Ray Liotta's brain being eaten but other than that <laughs> you know uh, what is the um, uh, of, I mean obviously the Hannibal TV series was wonderful as well um, but you know that's a whole different beast isn't it it's not really it's uh, it's so kind of impressionistic and everything. I don't know that it even really fits into the same genre as all the other stuff mm-hmm. um But, uh, yeah, so is there anything else that you feel we need to say about this, uh, you know, penultimate part of the film? It's kind of an interesting, um, point of at what point
2: does someone's involvement in a project taint that project, if that makes sense? Like, like, for example, Kevin Spacey has a brief cameo in Austin Powers' Goldmember. Does that, in and of itself taint that movie for you or can you still watch that movie now obviously something where he's very involved in like usual suspects it's a little harder to or or seven it's a little harder to separate him from that but you know is there like a dividing line at which point you know you can sort of separate the the work from the the artist i guess
1: I think it also helps that he doesn't get the top billing Mm. that they initially wanted. You know, you can kind of even forget that he's in this movie if you haven't seen it in a long time. Because I knew Kevin Spacey was the killer, but it also didn't hit me that Kevin Spacey was the killer until he walked into the precinct. Yeah. It's just been that long since I've seen this film. Yeah. So.
0: And I mean, I don't know if there's any satisfaction that comes from seeing Kevin Spacey killed at the end of the film. <laughs> me also, also you know, Maybe him. a bit of catharsis yeah. from that. Whereas, you know, in uh, usual suspects, he gets away. So it makes it harder for you to kind of yeah. see Kevin Spacey get away with the crime. Um, you he know. hops into the
2: one car and pulls in here at the police station.
1: I mean, I can give you my own personal major coincidence that I realized. Okay, go for it. So this movie came out in September 95, uh, yes. which would be seven months after I turned seven.
0: <laughs> Super
1: shock. Yeah. That was about it.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's notable. I mean, the thing is, that wouldn't work for me because <laughs> I saw it in January t- 1996. So, um, you know, by that point, what would you have turned eight or you'd just be close to turning eight? I'd be close yeah, to turning Yeah, so eight. it wouldn't work for that. Um, yeah. No, I I mean, you know, when i came out uh, when it when it came out i was 18 which unfortunately can't be divided by 7 to if i'd have been a few years <laughs> older yeah how old were you alex i mean maybe we could we can add these things up and get ourselves to a multiple of um, 7
2: no i'm i'm also born in 88 so this is a i would be
0: 7 when this one came out oh there you yeah. go both of you were 7 when 7 came out yeah. so <laughs> that feels like it, that um
1: yeah no i <laughs> pulled the date of the movie to be like is there something specific and spectacular about the number which is something that i feel like they would do nowadays i don't think they cared as much in the 90s oh well but,
0: uh, do you know my favorite movie. thing about the omen series is the original film was released on the 6th of june 1976 see
1: that's exactly what i was like is this you know was it july 7th yeah. and, and when they, 7th, when they when so they
0: did awkward. the remake of the omen starring uh, liev schreiber i think um, they released that on the 6th of the 6th, 06. See, that's um, which I think was. Okay, so I just
2: looked up the release date. Um, yes. When they released it, the sort of the early premiere in Alice Tully Hall, I actually would have been a day before I turned seven. Oh. And then <laughs> oh. when it had its US premiere, I would have turned seven six
0: days prior oh if only it had been seven days prior it's too late now unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> nothing we can um, do
2: um for this movie they made a uh, head of gwyneth paltrow to be shown in the box and then decided that they didn't want to show it um but that head would actually get used in contagion <laughs> Oh, nice. in i believe in the autopsy
0: as, as, uh, what, is like Gwyneth Paltrow like, carrying it around after the fact, being like, do we need a no, head in some, this movie, No, guys? but
2: some prop department did,
0: but, yeah. but
2: it's, it doesn't get much use because she doesn't have a ton of movies where she gets beheaded and they'd have much use for a yeah. a Gwyneth Paltrow head, but then they said, hey, we've got this handy-dandy Gwyneth Paltrow head sitting <laughs> around.
0: I, I love that. Someone at New Line is just like, one day, Gwyneth Paltrow will need a head in a film and I'm going to keep it to one side just for that moment. Yeah. Uh, when somebody decides to consciously uncouple her head from the rest of her body. Um, so, well, I guess we've covered everything, so let's go to plugs. And I am going to say, uh, Megan, do you have anything you wish to plug?
1: Sure. Uh, I host a variety of podcasts. Um, the easiest way to find out anything about me is to go to my blog, which is meggriffin.com. It's Meg with two Gs. Um, and from there, you can find all four of my podcasts and anything else I've been involved with, as well as me ranting about whatever I'm reading or watching at the time.
2: Um, yeah, well, I, I already briefly mentioned these. Uh, you can check out on a podcatcher near you, Galaxy Quest Minute, which has completed its primary run. Uh, obviously covering the movie Galaxy Quest minute by minute, and uh, we're somewhere in the middle of the movie that is way longer than you remember, Uh, Independence Day minute, covering the 96 sci-fi classic Independence Day, one minute at a time. Podcatcher near you.
0: I assume you'll also be... I saw Jeff Goldblum this week. Oh, there you go. That's all connected. (laughs) I assume you'll also be covering the sequel as well, Alex, once you uh, get through with... Um, I don't know. (laughs) come on the rules are minute by minute as you have to finish the series you can't just
2: we certainly do not
0: as uh the brothers <laughs> crane can attest
2: um <clears throat> this movie is taking a this movie is a lot longer than you think we started it back in 2018 and it will extend into 2020 so i insane. think we're going to need a, a bit of a break before yeah.
0: we even consider that well, uh, you can find me on a number of podcasts uh, previously that I have done. Um, at, but at this point, I'm just going to plug one, which I'm not mostly on, which is uh, Stage of Fools, which is a podcast about the E T V series The Royals. Uh, yes, a TV show on a network that you didn't realise made original content, made some original content, and uh, a couple of people, uh, Shannon Camp and Zach Powers, uh, are the hosts, and they cover it. And I am occasionally a guest because I also watched the show uh, as well as editing and producing. Uh, you can find us on I think Twitter at Stasia Falls Pod. Uh, it is concluded because the show has been cancelled now. Um, so, mm-hmm. so that podcast is over. Uh, much like this podcast, tomorrow will be over um, as we reach the seventh and final part of it. Um, so thank you to both of you for being my guest here today. Yeah,
1: thank yeah. you, thank for thank having you.
0: Us. Thanks for having me. You weren't too proud to join me. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, goodbye.